Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, today joined by Mr. Marius Root, who is having to broadcast to us today from a, uh, a sort of shared space because his power is out due to loading. Marius, how are you doing? Uh, right in you, Nick. I'm not too bad. And we also have Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. <clears throat> a wet and uh, quite chilly Cape Town. Uh, winter seems to be uh, hanging on here. But um, pleased to say no load shedding at the moment, although I think it is due to start at two. So ah, I'll be joining well, you shortly, Morris. Yeah. I'm currently being load shed, which is oh, why okay. I'm illuminated like a ghost out of the darkness. It's funny but, how uh, we all get used to it, huh? I mean, we just, uh, we just uh, take it in our stride these days. I don't think, yeah. I, don't think I could be used to stage six, to be honest. But uh, no, that, that's this true. is my line in the sand. Anyway, yes. um, speaking of load shedding, mm. some, I think this is a great story. Uh, and this is the amount of solar panels imported by South Africans. South Africa has quadrupled its solar panel imports from China in the first half of 2023. We've had a massive increase in the imports of solar panels, 438% increase in imports. And in the last 12 months, South Africa has imported four gigawatts of solar panels just from China, where most of the solar panels are made. That generates electricity about the equivalent of 3% of the total national demand. And in the last six months, that's 3.4 gigawatts. And a lot of this is due to businesses or private households basically going off the grid or at least adding to the grid with these sort of feed-in tariffs that both Johannesburg and Cape Town, I think, are now implementing. Um, A lot of people in in wealthier houses uh, who can afford it are getting off the grid government is also offering a little bit of a tax rebate uh, for businesses and 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 uh, households that do this. And I think that considering the level of poverty in this country and that there's not that many people who can afford to import solar panels, um, this is pretty good going. The fact that ordinary South Africans who have the means are making a plan. And that actually does help the rest of society too because it takes more pressure off the grid. And it does make me ask the question, Michael, uh, <clears throat> Is it actually possible that ordinary South Africans and businesses are going to be able to sort of muddle our way out of this, despite government's best efforts? Yeah, it's a, it's 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 a very interesting question. It's funny in in our household we've been having this debate. You know, should we take the plunge and get the inverter and and start thinking about investing in the solar panels and so on? We haven't got there yet, as and so many people in our neighbourhood have, and lots of our friends have. Um, it is quite a big outlay, I think, if you're going to do it properly. Um, and part of what's, you know, part of my sort of perhaps faintly, naively optimistic view is that, you know, perhaps we don't need to go in quite so deep just yet because I'm sure that as these things change, as the private sector becomes more more effectively involved, and obviously here also in the Western Cape is the sensible politicians are focusing on alternative solutions to ESCOM, that maybe, you know, it won't necessarily won't necessarily be a, an urgent need in in a year or two's time but nevertheless i you know i think um what people are doing i i do have a little uh a little I th- is it ups is it called or usp i forget which it is yeah uninterrupted uh, power supply. and there we go uh to feed the uh to keep the router going 
Um, so that's this kind of minimum thing, and we have all the you know all the lights and things we plug in and and, and so on, and replaced all the bulbs. So you know it is th this is symptomatic of the entire society adjusting to uh, to a crisis, not simply being um, being knocked flat by it. Um, beginning to make um, its own decisions, uh, new choices, different choices, and, and the private sector has obviously come to the fore with offering all the products and offering all the versions of, of them and, and, and ways of doing things. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's this is, you know, uh, Carly's quite right. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a risk uh, as we enter this new terrain. Uh, we've had our, our battery uh, on the gate the electric gate changed three times i think in the past year and a bit um and uh the, you know people who come to fix it say well this is what we're doing all the time these days uh, the batteries just can't cope with the load shedding so there, there are there are difficulties um but as the story indicates you, you know south africa is not a, the kind of country that just gives up uh and 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 falls over it's uh we are as a people pr uh, accustomed to living at the edge of crisis and dealing with it and finding solutions quite quickly uh private sector which is uh very light on its feet and has to be um it's just a pity we have so much intervention and meddling with it but nevertheless yeah i think these this, this is a sign of exactly the thing that we think is so, so good about south africa <clears throat> Of course, it's not a perfect solution. It is expensive. Uh, yeah, for exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, as has <laughs> been pointed out in the comments, you know, there are concerns, very serious concerns about the the uh, ethical nature of sourcing these things from places like China, where we know yeah. that, for example, in Xinjiang uh, uh, province, that people have been used in, in forced labor to make stuff like this or in factories. Uh, and the fact that most of these solar panels come from China, I think is not ideal to say the least um and yet it still is i think for south africans probably one of the better options in that it is something where people can can make a plan we actually got a we had a talk by a member of what's called the uh, uh, mini grids association um, mm. and this is a guy who works in an african organization which in these countries where you've got <clears throat> grids that have basically either never really been built or just fallen over due to decay and that kind of stuff due to mismanagement, places like Nigeria, places like uh, Tanzania, places like the DRC, that there's this emerging market in Africa of these guys who set up these solar panels, um, which can power like you know, a street. It's like a mini power station. And I th uh, the, the main opponent to them remains um, in many cases government regulation which seeks to drive, mm. basically drive out competition for the state-controlled uh, power company it's not just south africa that has that problem Maurice, what do you make of this whole issue of south africans uh taking charge of our own power going off the grid what, what are your thoughts i mean it's obviously good but uh very few south africans i think can afford it a friend of mine uh, installed solar in his house about six months ago so cost him i think about one hundred thirty thousand rand and mm. he saved a bit because his brother uh, is uh, not a solar installer, but an engineer who's very handy. So he saved a lot on the labor and so on. So 130,000 rand, that's simply, I mean, most people don't have that kind of money mm. lying around. I mean, no. uh, we, we work for an NGO, so that's about uh, double our annual salaries. Yeah? Uh, so, but, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but drugs aside, I mean, most people can't afford that kind of money. And also, as uh, somebody points out in the comments, mm. you invest that, that money into your house. That's the extra 130,000 rand you put into your house. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get that money back. So in a lot of ways, it's you know lost money almost. But uh, that said, I think a lot of people when they buy houses now might insist you know 
Mm. You can have to have yeah. solo or some kind of option <clears throat> to make your house, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, sellable. And uh, also, this is pretty bad for ESCOM uh, because more people that go off the grid, the less revenue uh, ESCOM gets. And, you know, ESCOM is going to continue its death spiral, which is probably inevitable at this point. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think that's just going to hasten the end of ESCOM, which we probably need, actually. And we have to go and see... But yeah, it's, South Africans do make a plan, as the saying goes, a boom market plan. And I think that's happening mm. across the country. But with as with many of these things, the people who can make a plan are, you know, people who have resources. Most people, including people who are full-time employed and so on, simply don't have that kind of money. And they just have to deal mm. with uh, load shedding or have uh, other kinds of uh, interventions, you know, like UPSs or inverters and all that kind of thing. But we know also, I mean, as somebody said in the comments now, those things also don't last and... Then you've got to fork yeah. out something. I don't mm. even know how much a UPS is, two, three thousand rand or whatever. You know, it's still quite a lot of money for a lot of people. So, you know, at the end of the day, what you need is a proper power co company who can supply uh, reliable electricity without having to do all these kinds of things. But, you know, that's uh, if uh, wishes were horses, I suppose. Uh, uh, you know, right. but we, we, we no. don't have that. So people need to, you know, deal with the country we have, not the one we want. Mm. Exactly. I think, I think we do, we are in a situation where actually, um, and, and, and I would like to emphasize again the fact that when, you know, wealthier people go off the grid, it doesn't, it, it causes problems for ESCOM because it takes that money away, but at least lessens the impact on the grid, right? Because you have fewer houses needing the electricity, mm. um, which is good then for people who can't afford the solar because it means that, in theory at least, they might get less load shedding. Uh, but I think the real takeaway for me from this, uh, Michael, is that you know, we, we talk about South African resilience, but it's always like a, a sort of painful conversation. It's like we're having to thrive in this really tough, awkward environment yeah. that's so painful. And yeah. but I think I think the flip side of that is that what we've seen is that there's a lot of people willing to put time, effort, money, and and and, and perseverance into um, South Africa, and that if we can get some of these policies right, if we see uh, political policy change in this country, that we stand to benefit i think from that energy mm. from all of these people for all these years have built up this resilience and that if the blocks are removed people will really be able to fly uh if yeah. we started taking apart escom if we really opened up the market aggressively if uh we we, we we lowered taxes if we grew the economy we could really see south africans taking taking the opportunities that that would give them and flying with them and getting us out of this mess much faster then I think many people think it would take. What, what do you make of that? Mm, I think that's absolutely right. Um, it's, and it's a point that Morris made as well, that you know what we really need is an, an, an effective um, state machinery. Uh, we, our, our colleague on, on the Daily Friend, Andrew Kinney, often writes about the fact that the diehard capitalist there he is he, he thinks that power generation is one of those things that is is best kept in the in this in the in the province of the state because all it really requires is you get a generator running and you keep it running and you look after it properly um and you maintain things and it's just really as simple as that and, and the state can get uh, cheaper finance than anyone else so it makes absolute sense but then <clears throat> that is as Mario says that this is really the thing that we that we want and as you said nicholas it's it's an indication you know with all this as you say the energy the enterprise the dynamism and so on that exists in society if we could clear the hurdles get the right policies get the right staffing 
um, there's absolutely no reason why uh, why we can't return to that or, or have not necessarily. I mean, ESCOM was always very good, but you know, we, we want a new kind of ESCOM. Um, we don't want to go back to anything. We we facing the front, um, and there's yeah, no reason why uh, why it can't work um, and can't work effectively. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Um, speaking of, I just want to, sorry, I just want to um, make one point on that talking about resilience and so on. There was a good article by Claire Bissica of Business Day, I think, this week, and it was about the state of the economy and how resilient uh, business are in South Africa. And her um, last paragraph, I think, it's quite uh, quite telling. It says South Africans should avoid setting the bar so low that business survival is confused with resilience. Let's not kid ourselves. Fragility is a far more accurate description of the state of the economy. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just to uh, put a damper on the uh, on. Uh, no, no. I I think it's <laughs> I think it's very valid, and it reminds me actually of a, a visit that um, that I made to to uh, to um, to Lebanon. Actually, my wife's family from Lebanon, Lebanon in in, in 2019. Absolutely fascinating uh, country and, and and wonderful people. But they have they have power crises uh, themselves. Um, and several times during the day, the the national power power supply utility power utility shuts down, and there's a brief sort of moment wherever you are, whether in a, a you know restaurant or a fancy shop or a, just walking down the street, everything goes dark for a second or two, and then it 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 all powers up again, and that's because there are all these private power companies that are there to fill in the gap. And if you talk to Beirutis particularly, they'll tell you that one of the problems is now that everybody's got so used to this pattern that the the greatest resistance to fixing the national power utility is coming from the private power suppliers because you know their business model now depends on their being there and being able to, to respond. So yeah, I mean, one one must be careful of seeing these solutions as you know real long-term solutions in that particular case i think it's it's just a perpetuation of the crisis in a different form um and i think morris is quite right we want to try and avoid that all right speaking of uh bad governance uh minister of mineral resources and energy Guido montasha was speaking at the oil and gas conference in cape town he was complaining about how several oil and gas exploration projects around the country um, Total Energies project in the Western Cape, a project in the Free State, a coal project have been blocked by litigation from environmental activist groups, NGOs. However, I think he went a bit, uh, shall we say, a bit far. <laughs> he said that NGOs had unlimited resources as a result of being funded by foreign entities, which enabled them to take the department to court. Quote, many of the non-governmental organizations that take us to court have unlimited resources. They are funded by foreign entities. When a non-governmental organization is funded by a Ford Foundation or by a number of those entities in the United States, you can't rule out the fact that some of it comes from the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, and it's a deliberate program to block development in poor countries like South Africa. Now, I am pretty much in favor of developing our oil and gas reserves. I think it's an important uh, 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 sort of medium-term economic boost. You know, maybe we want to move away from those technologies eventually, but I think that in the short term, we desperately need that growth, or else we're really not going to be able to do anything. Um, but this is crazy. <laughs> Morris, what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can really say about it. And probably it's quite revealing of our attitude to, you know, what's happening in uh, Ukraine, where we seem to be you know, at least uh, implicitly uh, supporting Russia rather than the West. I mean, whatever you think about the war, that's 
pretty clear uh, who our sympathies lie with, or at least the government's sympathies. But I think uh, this kind of conspiratorial thinking is probably quite, quite common, at least within the ANC, and possibly amongst uh, some people in the government. And it's it's pretty concerning. And uh, as uh, somebody made the point, uh, the CIA one is, is probably supportive of uh, oil and gas companies making money, especially American-linked ones. So it wouldn't really make sense that they want to block this kind of thing. And I don't think the American governments, I mean, we, we know the American government's done some pretty dodgy things in the past and probably still, we know it's been behind coups and so on, uh, especially in uh, Latin America and that. So, I mean, they're obviously, they're not uh, angels, but I really don't think that they are have a plan to keep South Africa at its less than 1% economic growth rate that we have at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it makes more sense for the U.S. to support it's, countries where economic growth is happening and that richer countries are more stable. I mean, it's, it's a fact. Everybody knows this. Right. It's, it's straight out of the Zonab um, uh, playbook of blaming a foreign country. And, of mm -hmm. course, on the geopolitical strategy side here, the U.S. currently wants there to be more producers of oil, um, particularly uh, in the global market, because that pushes oil prices down, which is not just good for them, but hurts the Russian economy, mm -hmm. uh, which is their big enemy right now. Uh, Michael, you know, there are good arguments that could be made here about why we should be doing gas and oil exploration. Um, there was a piece in the Daily Friend today from Ivo Fector about uh, big industry and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but this is this is not really helping the case, is it? Exactly. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, as, as you, you kind of implied it, 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 in introducing the story, we all have a, a kind of sympathy in a sense with at least the, the Mantasha's uh, frustrated sentiments about people blocking development, the very things we need. Um, I, it's quite likely that if you in the ANC, you maybe view all that boodle uh, slightly differently from the way that we we liberals would, would do. But nevertheless, we we kind of share his anger, you know, his his frustration that there are people blocking. Uh, an opportunity for South Africa to really do amazing things, um, but the, the way to overcome this is actually to make good, solid arguments, not to come up with these silly ideas. Um, it, there might indeed be an element of truth in the fact that you know, if, if the Ford Foundation or whoever it is, I don't know enough about these things, does have some arcane sort of connection to uh, American um, American intelligence. Maybe there's some kind of possibility of some sort of influence being brought to bear but it, it's it's actually relevant the, the main thing is there's there's probably fairly big public support for the green organizations who are opposing fracking and so on and it's an argument that has to be won in public and it's possible to do this it's possible to make a case and you and you that's the only way to do it you've just got to keep making that case i think the fact that amazon won its case here in the, in the western cape expensive though it was uh, to their credit they kind of uh, sort of hung in there or perhaps they've already committed and they just had to but i think certainly with um with uh with with energy sources it's a it's a hugely important uh argument to have and to have it in public and i you, you mentioned ivo's piece today i, I recommend to viewers to to have a look at it because it's it's it really is very good and it makes some very cogent points but one of them is <clears throat> um that you know this obsession with blocking big companies and being suspicious of sort of big oil or big pharma or big whatever it is is that it's the big companies who have the a much greater interest in 
dotting the I's and, and crossing the T's and, and, st and sticking to environmental uh, commitments and sticking to the law, not being unscrupulous, not trying to get away with things because they are so visible. They, they're huge and they stick out like a sore thumb. And it's in their interest to make sure that their compliance is, is, is on track, that they've got good people you know, em employed to deal with communities and to see to the, the effects of what it is they're doing. It doesn't mean they don't make mistakes or that, you know, they're just like any other human enterprise. They're, they're, they're always going to be errors and, 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 and failures and so on. But the fact is, it's likely that if you're dealing with a, these big exploration exercises, you're dealing with people who are serious about what they're doing. They're not simply there to, to make a fast buck out of something frivolous um, and unscrupulous. And, um, and, and this is really the kind of argument we need to make and, and hold them to account. Um, but don't just chase them away thinking that you're going to be better off because it's very likely that you're not. Right, and you know, Montage is sort of complaining here. Like, if you if you're losing in court to these environmental groups, it you know, obviously there's a certain level to which just going to court can slow you down. But if you're losing, it's probably because either a the department made a mistake, which you as the minister need to fix, or b the government has implemented legislation which the court is using to judge these projects by. And if the legislation is bad, then the minister should change the legislation if it's doing exactly. Something. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but you know, we see we see instead uh, the real roadblocks to actually developing this industry um, is that uh, you know government is currently creating this gas and oil bill, um, which is supposed to regulate this stuff. And one of the things it basically says is the government gets twenty percent of the project, but doesn't have to put any money in, regardless of how much you invest or whether it makes a profit. Um, and also, ten percent has to be given to BE shareholders, who I believe are not even able to sell their shares unless it's to another BE partner. That's a real impediment to growth. Not this, yeah. you know, not <clears> this, <throat> the, the, this legislation stuff, which is, you know, uh, not the, not this litigation stuff. Um, Morris, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Uh... Fair and valid for the government to want some stake in uh, this thing as or in these uh, projects and get something out of it, but obviously then the money's got to be used properly. I mean, like I think uh, somewhere like Norway is a good example where um, it's used the profits from its oil industry into one of the biggest sovereign wealth funds in the world, if not the biggest, and that money is plowed back into Norway. Uh, you know, it's uh, invested for the good of the country and you know to build schools and health clinics and give the Norwegians opportunities. Uh, we've seen what happens in Africa and the oil-rich states, places like Angola and Nigeria and Gabon and Equatorial Guinea. All the money from the oil <laughs> basically ends up in, you know, people at the top's pockets. You know, the uh, the richest woman in the world uh, until quite recently was uh, Isabel dos Santos, who was the uh, daughter of, uh, not the richest woman in the world, the richest woman in Africa at least, Isabel dos Santos, who was the uh, daughter of the late Angolan president, uh, uh, sorry, of the Jose Eduardo dos Santos. So, these things are all obviously a good idea, but they need to, or good idea in theory, but we need a government that's actually going to invest the money where it needs to go. And they also all said, uh, just on the issue of the uh, greenies, they, I mean, they also, I think concerns about the environment are also valid. And uh, we must also exactly. remember that this mm. isn't uh, only our planet. It also belongs to all the other creatures that live on this planet with us. And, you know, at the same, we, but we have to get the balance between development and protecting the environment. Because it's easy to tell somebody who's living you know, in a, a shack in the Eastern Cape and, you know, they, they're never going to have any kind of job that 
we, we, we're not allowed development because we have to worry about the butterflies that live on the south coast or whatever the case is. <laughs> but you, you yeah. have to get that, that uh, balance between yeah. human development and protecting the environment. And I think uh, it's a difficult thing, but I think it uh, needs to be done. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I do have an answer to, to that final <laughs> point, but I'm, I'm going to save that <laughs> for another time. All the animals, all the animals. We don't have enough time in this, in this show to really properly explore that one. Uh, suffice to say that I do differ, do differ slightly from you on, on, on that last point. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move on to our last topic for today. And this is uh, a bill being put forward by the Democratic Alliance, the DA, to amend the Constitution's Constitution 19th Amendment Bill, which would limit motions of no confidence or uh, in presidents or provincial premiers to once a year, unless for serious grounds of misconduct. Now, I think, I'm not sure about, you'd have to see the wording there because I'm sure that a loophole could creep in there. But anyway, the idea behind this is that the DA says that it wants to create more stable provincial and national governments. We do face the possibility next year of having at the very least, a number of provinces run by complicated coalitions and possibly even the national government being run by a complicated coalition. And if the metros have been anything to go by, that could mean an awful lot of motions of no confidence. Now, it's one thing when the city of Joburg changes mayors every five minutes. It's another thing when South Africa changes presidents every five minutes. Uh, you can imagine uh, the, the, the President Stenhaz and then a President Ramaphosa, then a President Malema, who knows? Uh, and round and round, it yeah. would not, shall we say, um, invite a lot of confidence, I think, in the country or its political stability. So that's the idea behind this. Um, the DA said uh, that the abuse of motions of no confidence would have a catastrophic results for any province and most certainly for the economy and, e and deep inequalities, which any government in 2024 would need to concern itself with. There was some support for this legislation from the Freedom Front Plus, although in the debate being held, it seems like there weren't that many attendees um, in, uh, to the parliamentary session. Uh, the EFF opposed this, saying that the bill is inherently anti-democratic and seeks to impose limits on the democratic rights to remove people from office. Now, um, the ANC has said that it doesn't really want to support this bill because it's got its own version of it and it doesn't want to support the DA's efforts. I can kind of see both sides of this. Um, obviously, the in the chaos that's been sowed by all the spurious motions of no confidence in our municipalities is not great. But at the same time, when the legislature is out of whack with the executive, you can have very serious problems for your stability, particularly in our system. Uh, you can see a situation where a coalition changes halfway through the year, and then you've got six months of a president who doesn't have the support of the legislature um, uh, trying to govern, which could be in some cases good, but in some cases also a mess. I don't know. Michael, what do you make of this? Mm. I think I'm a bit like you. I mean, I recognize the, the risk. Um, but I feel sure also that, you know, it should be possible to, um, to, to, to clarify exactly what the, um, what the serious grounds of misconduct, for instance, would, uh, you know, would amount to, and to provide as much leeway as possible for uh, parties to, to exercise this right. Um, under under serious conditions, but but at the same time, I think um, I think there is some some merit in uh, uh, trying to set down uh, a, a basis for building a, a more stable 
kind of coalition politics, and maybe this is where to go. Um, I, I can't quite remember who it was. It might have been France, Cronier, and the Social um, Research Foundation uh, suggesting some time ago that, that you know other kinds of things that we could be looking at would be contracts between parties entering uh, coalitions, and maybe that's that's an alternative. I don't know whether that's something that would need to be legislated necessarily, um, but I, I mean one can see the sense of it. I think the I think the EFF is being um, being a bit uh, disingenuous in, in speaking up for for democracy. Um, they, they're not, um, it's, you know, it's not a it's not a, a default position of theirs by, by any means. Um, certainly, one, one one wants to be one wants to be conscious of the potential risks. But um, but I do think there's you know this merit in looking at uh, steps to stabilize uh, the politics of, of the next while that we're heading into. Morris, your thoughts before we close the call today? Uh, yeah, this isn't uh, actually such a new idea. Um, Ekurileni, where I live, in their uh, the municipal council, you can only do a motion no confidence every six months. I think it is. So this mm. isn't you know out of the blue and Ekurileni is actually a place where the EFF is basically governing uh, the place uh, by itself. Maybe that's why I don't know. I very rarely have water uh, these days at uh, where <laughs> I stay. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, this, uh, this isn't such a new idea and I think we probably do need some um, kind of guardrails to keep uh, coalition stable. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the political parties involved. And I think mm. we need a kind of... Um, you know, political parties themselves have started becoming a bit more um, mature and putting uh, South Africans first. I mean, we can see what's happening in Johannesburg uh, and Ekurileni, actually, uh, and Nelson Mandela Bay, where the ANC and FF together have voted to put in um, uh, mayors from, you know, micro parties, basically, parties that got, you know, less than 1% of the votes in uh, the last uh, municipal elections in, in those cities. And it's clear that there's no thought is given to the actual people who live in these places and even the rhetoric from uh, political parties. I remember after the 2021 election, people were talking about uh, the EFF were saying, okay, what will happen, guys, is uh, we'll give Action SA Johannesburg, uh, the ANC can get Ekurileni, and we want Chwane. Speaking as if you know the municipalities are these things to be given away amongst political parties and enjoy yeah. the benefits. Instead of thinking, what's the best way we can run this place? And we have to run it in, you know, with other political parties. What's going to be the best outcome for the people who live there? And political parties, most of them, I don't think they think like that. They what what is the best for the political party and for the people who are in this political party? Not is not what's best for the people who actually live there. And I think that's a problem in South Africa. And there was a German politician, I can't remember who, but they said a, a good politician puts the country first, then their party, and then themselves. And I think the problem in South Africa is that a lot of politicians have it exactly the, other, uh, the wrong way around. Put themselves first, then the party, and then the country, or the city, whatever the case is. But yeah, I think uh, these things aren't a bad idea, but at the end of the day, we're only going to have stable coalition politics when uh, political parties themselves grow up and mature, I think. No, I think that's the key here, is that you can put in all the rules you like, but if everyone is intent on breaking the system, you're really not going to get anywhere. Because yeah. People will find the loopholes wherever they may be. Yeah. I mean, you know, serious misconduct. Every time there's a version of no confidence, regardless of how silly or spurious it is, there are accusations that 
with the mayor or the president or whatever has done the most atrocious thing ever in human history and that's why they need to be removed uh, regardless of how grounded in fact that actually is okay uh so that's all the time we have for today thank you very much for listening we hope that you enjoyed the show and we will be back on monday have a great weekend everyone cheers mm-hmm.